Lord, that you would help us to have good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives right now for the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. I'm asking you, Lord, that you'll speak through me the words of life. It would not just be me, but it'll be under the anointing and the Holy Spirit speaking through me. And that your word go out of my mouth as living seeds of truth that are sown into good, fertile soil of hearts and minds, watered by the Holy Spirit, and will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. And Lord, I thank you for it. And Lord, I pray even things that I say, but also things that aren't even necessarily said, but it would cause people's minds under the anointing, under the Holy Spirit's influence to go and put pieces of the puzzle together, things they've learned in the past. And Lord, I pray not only that, but that you would help people tonight. The Bible talks about the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the Holy Spirit rests here as the spirit of wisdom and revelation to help people grasp and understand these deeper truths. And that this would be something that there's retention, that we can retain this over the rest of our lives. It's not just something we hear, but it's something that really gets in us and changes our lives. Lord, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. All right, so last week I laid a foundation. I'm going to be building on that today. I'm talking about God's redemptive plan through history. And... I'm going to recap a little bit from last week, not much. I'm going to talk about the dispensations. Next week, I'm going to deal with the rise of the Antichrist. And so you're not going to want to miss next week. We're living in the last days, guys. Listen, this is it's serious. Things are going on. The stage is being set. The stage is being set globally for what the Bible talks about with a one-world currency, which will make the way for the mark of the beast eventually. And it's it's there is... Not only is there financial unrest among the nations, but there's political unrest. And there's more and more you're going to see the breakdown of human governments. And people are more and more going to be crying out for some kind of a unification of the governments of the world. And you're eventually going to see the governments of the world joining together, becoming one. And this is all Bible prophecy being fulfilled. And you can see in our day and time right now, you see major biblical prophecies that are being fulfilled before our eyes it's just that a lot of people don't know the word even a lot of christians out there they're, they're not hearing the sermons they don't know the word so they don't even know that but you're seeing things in the middle east you're seeing prophecies about a great falling away there's a lot of prophecies that are in the works and even some that have already been fulfilled and i'm telling you Jesus' coming is near it is not a long ways off and so i want to do part two and let me give you 1 Thessalonians 5, 4. It says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day, and it's talking about the day of Christ's return, should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of the light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. And sleep is always talking about not praying. So Paul's saying, don't fall asleep spiritually. Don't quit praying. Because we're not living like the world that this is going to catch him unaware. Jesus said, I'm coming like a thief in the night. So there are people that literally are going to be caught very unaware. But he's saying, those that know the Lord, that are part of his kingdom, we should be sons of the light and we should be ready. It shouldn't catch us like a thief. We're anticipating his coming. We don't know the day or the hour, but we do sense a nearness. One of the things I want to say is you can read the first three books of the Bible and then read the last three books of the Bible and understand God's heart to redeem fallen humanity. It's kind of all summed up, isn't it? You see creation, the fall of man, then in the end, Revelation, the last three chapters, you see Christ coming back and the, the paradise being reestablished that was lost. God has been moving since Adam's fall. It's been 6,000 years of God bringing this whole thing back around. And when Jesus comes, He's going to reestablish once again the earth to be the paradise that God desires it to be. And let me give you this. The dispensations over, since Adam till now, the dispensations over the years that God has done. You can look at the chart and it'll help you understand it. I wanted to break down these and use charts tonight because I wanted you to see it and have visuals and help you understand. But I want to show you the dispensations. 
The first dispensation was the age of innocence. This was the Garden of Eden. The responsibility that they had was to obey God. Of course, they disobeyed God and it brought a judgment, a curse, and death. Then the dispensation shifted. And you have the dispensation then of conscience. It was to do good. And there had to be blood sacrifice and animal sacrifice for sin. Wickedness crept in and God had to flood the earth. Then it shifts dispensations again to human government. And God spoke to them and said, fill the earth and multiply, scatter and multiply. But they did not scatter. And therefore God, they remember they gathered to build a Tower of Babel. And God had to scatter them and confuse their languages. Then you see the dispensation of the promise. And God spoke to them about dwelling in Canaan. They ended up in Egypt. And they came under Egyptian bondage, which of course was God's ultimate plan. And then it shifts to the age, the dispensation of the law. This was Moses. And the, the requirement was to keep the whole law. But of course we know they broke the law. And there was a worldwide dispersion of the Jewish people. And then you see the dispensation that we are living in today called the church age. And this is also called the um, age of grace or the times of the Gentiles in the Bible. And the requirement under this age was to keep faith in Jesus and keep doctrine pure. But again, you see people losing the faith and you see impure doctrine and you're seeing an apostasy and a falling away. The end of this dispensation is coming near and it will shift to the millennial reign of Christ. When Jesus does come back, he's going to set up his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. And then at the end of that dispensation, we know is the end of all things when God the Father comes back to the earth. Okay, But I want you to see this as a visualization. See, I talked about this last week, but I want you to see the dispensations. God does a lot of things in seven. And let me give you biblical numerology. Listen, everything that's in the Bible is there for a reason and it's significant. I've had people ask me, do you, do you believe that there's any type of hidden codes that could be in the Bible? I don't know. I've never found one. You know, I don't know. But I will say this. The Bible is so supernatural that it would not surprise me that there's things like that in it. It just wouldn't surprise me. Everything that's in the Bible, every name, names have meanings, every number, every color, every metal, everything that's in the Bible has significance and meaning. It's just that a lot of people don't know what it means. And there's a law of first reference. Whenever God laid down this foundation in the Old Testament, under the Torah, under the, the days of Moses, when he brought in the tabernacle and the priesthood, Remember the five major offerings, the furniture and the priestly garments and all that. That's the law of first reference. When God brought that in, he laid out what colors mean, what metals mean, what numbers mean. And for the rest of Scripture, all the way through to Revelation, it all has meaning. And let me give you what you need to know to understand Bible prophecy. I'll add this also in the notes that will be for the future reference on the Internet and such. I'm going to put more to this, but I'm just giving you this here in a condensed uh, format. Number one... The number one means it's God's number. Number two is unity. Number three is the divine number. Number four has to do with the earth. Number five has to do with grace. Remember, Jesus was pierced in five places. Number six has to do with the sinful man. Man was created on the sixth day. Number seven has to do with perfection. Or, I'm sorry, perfection, yeah. And see, people, sometimes I hear people preach and they're um, making up numbers as they go. And it kind of bothers me because the, the Bible really does have numbers in it and they mean something. And if somebody will make a sermon and they'll, they'll change the meaning of the number that they're using to fit their sermon. And that's not the way it works, okay? Number eight means new beginnings. Number nine means judgment. Number ten means completion. Number 11 is sin covered by grace because 6 is sin and then 5 on top of that and it's sin covered by grace. Number 12 is God's government. Number 13 is rebellion. Number 14 is deliverance. Number 40 is testing. Number 50 is jubilee. And 70 is the Gentiles. And we'll get to that here in a little bit. 
And when you see 100 or 1,000, it has to do with like perfect completion, fruitfulness, or fulfillment. Those are the numbers, and they mean something. So whenever you see, for example, in biblical prophecy, you see the lamb that has seven eyes in the vision, what in the world is that supposed to mean? People read that, and they sit there and think, what does a lamb with seven eyes around its head, what does that mean? Because you don't, you got to understand that seven is perfection. It has to do with perfect vision. And it talks about having seven horns. Horns speak of power. So what in the world is it saying seven horns? Why would a lamb have seven horns? Because perfect power. The biblical color scheme. Blue is heavenly, coming down from heaven. Purple is royalty. White is righteousness or purity. Scarlet is suffering. And green and brown are earthly colors. They're not found in the tabernacle. Now, biblical metals. There's different metals there in the Bible. Gold is the divine metal. It's God's metal. It's coming down from heaven. Remember the... Heaven is made up of a lot of gold. Silver speaks of redemption. Bronze speaks of judgment. And iron is an earthly warfare related metal. And it's not found in the tabernacle. See the tabernacle was a heavenly dwelling. And it had heavenly colors. And interesting in the tabernacle. Moses actually got this straight from God. The patterns of the tabernacle. Everything that was in it, all the furniture and everything was measured. And it said that it was something that God showed him that was heavenly. It was out of heaven. And he took that revelation from God, what was literally in heaven. He took that revelation, he wrote it down, and he replicated that in the tabernacle on the earth. And that's why you don't see you know, green and brown and you don't see iron because those are earthly. But you need to understand it. Because whenever you read in biblical prophecy and you see different colors and different metals, you need to know what is God trying to say. Another thing, if you want to, there's a diagram about the feasts. If you want to look at that, it's called God's calendar of redeeming grace. I'm going to quickly go through the feasts. I'm going to go through the 70 weeks of Daniel. And then I'm going to get into the false prophet. This is really going to be interesting about the rise of the false prophet. But I want you to see this. All this has a pattern and a meaning. Now here in America where you guys have grown up, and I realize there's people that are hearing this in other parts of the world, so just apply it to your life. But here in America we have, you know, around Thanksgiving and then Christmas time, our whole lives we've grown up having these holidays. And then, you know, Easter rolls around. And later on, things like the 4th of July. And we've grown up our whole lives celebrating these different holidays, and we're used to it. The Jewish people, I mean, for a long time, have had these feasts, and these are their holidays. God gave this to them. It's not something that they came up with. It's something that God gave them. It has prophetic meaning, and I'm going to show you it, Okay? This is straight out of the Bible, and I'm going to make it as condensed as I can and as simple as I can. But here's the feast days, okay? Around springtime every year, for about a week or so, they celebrate Passover, unleavened bread, and then the first fruits. They do this every year. When Jesus came and he died on the cross, he was the perfect Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. And He died on the cross on Passover day. I went over this last week, so I'm not going to dwell on it too much. But He fulfilled Passover. His body did not decay because there was no sin. So they put Him in the tomb and His body was there during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And he fulfilled the Feast of Unleavened Bread because his body was without yeast, which represents sin. It was without sin. And it was in the tomb. And then Jesus raised from the dead. And when he did that year, first fruits fell on the same day that he raised from the dead. The Jewish people were celebrating first fruits. 
Jesus was the first fruit of the resurrection from the dead. I'm not going to get into it this sermon, but I will another time. There's different resurrections that's going to happen. Jesus was the first fruit. So these prophetic feasts that God has given them, the first three have already been fulfilled. Now after that week or so, as they celebrate, there's a 50-day interval, and then they celebrate Pentecost. They've been doing this for years and years and years and years. And God chooses on the day of Pentecost to pour out His Spirit. And while they were celebrating Pentecost, the ones Jesus had spoke to to go to the upper room and to be there, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Of course, they spoke in tongues. It was an awesome thing. And the Holy Spirit was poured out that was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Now there's a long interval. This all happens in spring. And then you have a long interval there into fall. We're in that long interval right now. Does this make sense? This is very prophetic. Spiritually speaking, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost are fulfilled. We're in this church age, this long interval. And what's about to happen is the last three feasts are about to be fulfilled. And in the fall time, for about two weeks or so, they celebrate three feasts in the fall. Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and then Tabernacles. This has all description, everything there. Trumpets is prophetic about the rapture. It says that there's going to be a a loud shofar blast at the rapture. And the Feast of Trumpets will be fulfilled at the rapture. Then the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in. He would have to shed blood, but he would go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement for the nation of Israel. That's going to be fulfilled while the bride of Christ is at the marriage supper and on the earth the great tribulation is happening, that day of atonement feast is going to be fulfilled during the tribulation. And then tabernacles is going to be fulfilled at Jesus' second coming when he comes actually to the earth and goes into Jerusalem and rules the earth for a thousand years. That's going to be the fulfillment of tabernacles. Do you see what I'm saying? Now people don't realize that Jesus, first off, he wasn't born on December 25th. He was probably, we don't know for sure, but he was probably born probably on the Feast of Tabernacles. But these last three feasts have not been fulfilled. Interesting, though, in the Day of Atonement feast, the tribulation time, Aaron the high priest would come out of the holiest place twice before the goat was sent away. You remember the scapegoat. First, it was in regard to the priestly family. Then it was in regard to Israel. So also the Lord Jesus will come twice, first for his bride and second for Israel. There's going to be a catching away of the bride. But not everybody's going to be ready. That's the feast of the Lord. So whenever the feast time, every fall, when feast the feast of Israel begin to roll around and they start celebrating, they call them Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, okay, Sukkoth. As those feasts begin to show up here at the end of the year, you need to start thinking about their prophetic significance because nobody knows the day or the hour of the Lord's coming. I'm certainly not saying that I do because I don't. But I, I feel strongly from Scripture I would be surprised if it doesn't happen around those feasts. I'm just saying. Now let's get into Daniel's prophecy about the 70 weeks. 
At the end of this series, I'm going to do more about Israel and Jerusalem. But let me just tell you this. I'm going to go ahead and talk about this first before I get in this. But there's a really dangerous doctrine out there that's called replacement theology. There's different names for it. But what it teaches basically is that the church has replaced Israel and that God's through with Israel. That's a very dangerous doctrine for many reasons. But let me tell you this. When people have that mentality, it changes the way they view the end-time prophecy completely. And and it's going to ensure that they're going to have some really bad doctrine there. God's not through with Israel. And it is very dangerous to think that He is. But let me give you a few things here, and I'll come back to that. Romans eleven twenty five it says, I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation, that a partial, a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the full, fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And thus, all Israel will be saved, just as, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. Let me read that again. There's been a partial hardening that has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And thus, all of Israel will be saved, just as as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. So this gets kind of complicated to people and kind of deep. But God is not through with Israel. And let me tell you this. Nobody is going to be in heaven except they've been washed in the blood of Jesus and born again. Okay? But God has a covenant with Israel through Abraham that he's still working through Israel. And it's amazing because if you look at history, Israel was scattered, and we'll talk about it in 70 A.D. And so you're looking at 1,900 years or so that they were scattered. And for God to fulfill Bible prophecy and supernaturally begin to draw them back and pull them back to their nation in 1948, begin to draw them back, pull them back. It was a supernatural move of God. No, nowhere in all of history has this ever happened, that a nation would be scattered for like 1,900 years and be reestablished like that, given back the Hebrew language and everything. And when Jesus comes, He's coming back to Israel. <coughs> Now, Daniel's 70 weeks explains that. I'm going to do my best to explain this because it's kind of deep. But 70 weeks, 70 is the number of the Gentiles, remember? The 70 weeks, a week is seven years. So it's 70 times seven years. Let me read it to you. An angel appeared to Daniel and said, Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. See, it has to do with Israel. He said, For your people and your holy city. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, I want you to remember that. There was a decree made by King Cyrus. God moved on his heart to begin to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. But the angel told told Daniel, rather, he said, when this issue is decreed until the Messiah. So from the time that the decree was made for Israel to be reestablished, from that time until Jesus came, He said there will be seven weeks and then 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. And any of you that's ever read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, you know that it was rebuilt in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the print or the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And he was saying there that Jesus will be removed from the earth, and that the Roman 
Romans will come in and destroy the city and the sanctuary, which they did. And its end will come in like a flood. Then it goes, it starts moving into the last week, which is the tribulation. I'm going to try to explain this. Even to the end, what there will be war, desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant. This is the Antichrist. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week. Seven years, one week. But in the middle of the tribulation, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offerings. And on the wing of the temple, on the wing of the temple, he will put an abomination that will cause desolation. Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. That's easy to understand, isn't it? Alright, so let me try to explain it. Well, you know, I say I'm going to preach on the end times and everybody wants to hear it, you know. Here we go. Alright, so 70 weeks is 7 years times 70. 490 years. Go to the chart, the 70 weeks of Daniel, and I'm going to break it down for you and show it to you. There's a chart. All right. Yeah, those that are good at math, okay, this may come a little easier. I'll make it simple, though. Yeah. All right. The 70 weeks of Daniel. If you look at the chart, from the time... God moved on the heart of King Cyrus, but Artaxerxes, he was the one that released them, released Ezra to go back. From the time that that decree was made until Jesus came was 69 weeks, which is 483 years. The angel said there would be seven weeks and then 62 weeks. So why did he break that up? Because he was saying that for 49 years, seven weeks, the temple would be rebuilt, and it was. Did you know the book of Daniel was so extremely accurate that there are people that don't like the Bible and criticize it. They say that Daniel had to be written after all this happened because it was too accurate. Which there's no way that it was. But see, it was so, it's just amazing how accurate this was. So after seven weeks, that's 49 years, the temple was rebuilt. The second temple period. Then there was 434 years from that time until Jesus came. So you see 69 weeks fulfilled right there, and then Jesus came. Now this is what's interesting and why it's so important to understand God's not through with Israel. Because after 69 weeks, it's almost like whenever you're watching a DVD and you push pause. It's like God paused what he was doing with the nation of Israel and he released this age of grace known as the church age. A great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a great harvest of souls. But when it's ended and the rapture happens, the times of the Gentiles will be over and God is going to push unpause. He's going to push play again and he's going to pick up with Israel where he left off and that 70th week, that last week, is the tribulation. Now, does that make sense? So when Jesus came, and He fulfilled the feast, He did everything He was called to do, and He ascended. Before He ascended, He made a prophecy and he said that this temple, and he was talking about Herod's temple at that time, this temple will not have one stone left on another. Let me tell you what happened. After Jesus ascended, in 70 A.D., 70 is the, you know, the number of the Gentiles, remember? In 70 A.D., the Jewish people were leading a revolt. Vespasian and his son Titus came down with their military power, and they annihilated Jerusalem. They crucified over a million Jews. And they slaughtered, I mean, it was, it was a massacre. And because they heard rumors that there was gold and different things in the walls of the temple, they took donkeys and they would tie ropes to each stone, and they would pull one stone off the other, 
because they were looking for gold. And they fulfilled Jesus' prophecy to the word that not one stone would be left on another. When this happened in 70 AD, Israel was scattered to the nations. And that's what it was talking about when it said the Messiah would be cut off. And on this chart underneath, you can see the Messiah is cut off. That's where he, Jesus ascended. And then it says, it says the people of the prince, talking about Rome, would come and they would destroy the city and its sanctuary. That was fulfilled in 70 AD. amazing how accurate that book is. I mean, Daniel's an amazing book. But when Jesus comes in the rapture, he's coming for a bride without spot or blemish. You know, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's happening right now in these last days is very significant and important. These days that we're living, there's going to be an intense spiritual warfare going on. Satan knows his time is short. And he's trying, to, he's trying his best to destroy Israel because he knows Bible prophecy and he knows that Jesus prophesied to come back to Israel. You know, He's trying to destroy Israel. He's attacking the church viciously. And God is pouring out His Spirit in an awesome way in our lives to help give us strength and endurance to endure these last days. And it makes me sad to see how many people right now, I believe it will change, but when you look across the landscape, even of America and across the world, there, there's so many dry, dead churches. That's a dangerous place to be. If you read Matthew 24 and 25, there's a scripture that says where there's a dead body, the vultures will gather. And there's too many dead bodies. And the Lord is pouring out His Spirit. There was a great prophetic man that before he died, he said that the Lord showed him the last day of revival. And he saw the, nation, he saw the Lord gather... He was above the earth and gathered all of the fire, all the revival fire since the day of Pentecost till now. He gathered all that fire up into this huge ball of fire and he threw it on the earth in the last days. And that's what we're coming into is the greatest move of God that the world has ever seen. And you're already seeing it. In many ways, it's, it's on this infancy stage, but you're seeing a great... And I believe that in our nation, let's just talk about America. You know, when Rodney Howard Brown came over from Africa... It was like, you remember the scripture in Ezekiel where it talked about ankle deep, waist, or knee deep, waist deep, and then over the head? When Rodney came over, it was like the Lord began to move at ankle deep. And he was refreshing the church. And the church needed it bad. And then God began to move in Toronto and pour out his spirit. And it began to move up to knee deep. And really, it shifted at Brownsville from just being a refreshing of God's people to being an all-out revival. And at Brownsville, it moved up to waist deep. And at Brownsville, there were literally hundreds of thousands of people getting saved. Okay, And God not only refreshed His people, but was bringing in a great harvest of souls. But I believe two things. Number one, I believe that all those that came in at Brownsville are now going to be the wave of harvesters and revivalists that are going to be used in the future revival. Number one. And the second thing I believe is that God's about to take America from just being waist deep to over the head revival. And it's going to be a great awakening. And I believe it's coming. Dry wood catches fire fast. And God allows many times society to get to a place where you look at it and go, it's so dry, it's so desperate and everything. But you know, those are the best times for God to pour out His Spirit. People are desperate. There was a time when America was a little bit too fat and happy. And now people are desperate, and God is about to pour out His Spirit in an awesome way in this nation. All right, this is what I want to close with. I want to talk about the, the rise of the false prophet, counterfeit miracle signs and wonders. When the high priest of Israel would change, it would be his time to retire and pass his duties on to the next high priest. 
there was a ritual they had to do. But as they would do the things they were supposed to do, which included water baptism, the high priest would take off his priestly garments and put them on his successor. And that successor, who just became high priest, he had to go into the tabernacle area and stay there for seven days. He couldn't leave for seven days straight. And then he would begin his high priest ministry. couple revelations about that. Number one, when the rapture does happen and the bride is taken away, we're going to be with the Lord for seven days, if you will, at the marriage supper, and he's preparing us to come back with him. And he's going to set up his priestly ministry on the earth. The second revelation about that is this. God will sometimes touch your life, but before you can really move into the fullness of the ministry that he's called you into, he wants to marinate you in his presence for a period of time. And that can be years. You guys remember as we studied, we've been studying God's generals, you remember Evan Roberts. But Evan Roberts, before revival broke out in Wales, he said at night, the Lord would just show up at night, in the middle of the night, and his glory, he would wake up because the glory of, the glory of God was on him so thick that the glory would wake him up and his body would be trembling under the glory. But God was saturating him with that presence. And then whenever it was time for the Welsh Revival to break out, and it broke out, he was a carrier of that anointing. And what God's been doing in some of your lives is, is he's been literally marinating you and saturating you in his presence for something down the road that you're becoming a carrier of. All right. The rise of the false prophet. I'm going to read Revelation 13, 11 through 18. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. The first beast was the Antichrist. I don't want to get on that. That's next week. But he said, I saw a second beast come out of the earth. And it, it was out of the earth. So it was like it came up out of hell itself. It came up out of the earth. I want you to catch that because it's important. Because there's going to be some type of a dark spirit of some kind that's going to come up out of the earth. And I used to wonder if the false prophet really wasn't just going to be a spirit. But I believe it will probably be a man. But there's going to be an ancient, powerful spirit that's going to come up that's going to possess him and use him to be what he's supposed to be for Satan. Now, interesting, in this passage, Revelation 13, it says that this beast, speaking of the false prophet, it had two horns like a lamb. But it spoke like a dragon. Who's the Lamb of God? Who is this person trying to look like? It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf, the Antichrist, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the Antichrist whose fatal wound had been healed. So apparently there's going to be some kind of an injury to the Antichrist. And it's going to be significant where people are kind of in awe of the healing that happens. Verse 13. And the false prophet performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of people. So this is like lightning coming down from heaven to the earth. Okay? So you can imagine somebody standing up there in full view of many people with the ability to speak and fire be coming down from heaven for people to see, like lightning striking the earth at his command. And because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the Antichrist who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The false prophet, the second beast, was given power to breathe, to breathe, I'm sorry, to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak. And it caused all who refused to worship the image to be killed. 
It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or their forehead so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. That number is 666. So again, you're seeing the, the number 6 representing sinful man. So here's some things to look at. This is a person that is trying to pretend to be a representative of Christ. But even though they had the appearance of that, they spoke like a dragon. This person had the ability to create some kind of an image, like an idol. He demanded people to worship it. And he had the ability to cause that thing to be able to speak. Let's give you some things to speculate about, okay? Let's just think together about this. I'm certainly in no way implying that it's going to be this way. But I'm going to give you an example of some things that could be. One person that is part of a cult, there are many cults out there like the Catholic Church and the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness and on and on. There's a bunch of cults, the Buddhist and all that. But one person that supposedly represents Jesus Christ could be the leader of the Catholic Church or a leader of another movement. But people look at him as a leader. But yet he's a part of a cult. So even though they think that he's Christian, because some people think the Mormons are Christians, they think that the Jehovah's Witnesses are Christians, they think the Catholics are Christians, whatever it is, they think that they're a Christian, but they're not. And because of that, they appear like they're representing Christ, but they're not. Even though they appear to look like a representation of Christ, they're actually speaking for the devil. Now, here's what's interesting. This person is going to somehow pretend to not only be Christ, but he's going to set up some kind of an image that he's going to demand it to be worshipped and give it the ability to speak. Now, one of the things that's been going on for many years, not only in the Catholic Church, but in other places as well, is that they'll have some kind of an, an idol somewhere that has the ability by itself to bleed or to cry or whatever supernatural thing it's supposed to do. It's demonic. But, of course, they'll all go running to that thing and they'll worship it and they long to be able to touch it or for it to cry on them or bleed on them or to have some kind of point of contact with them. And when they do, many of them are healed or something weird will happen in their life. You see what I'm saying? I wonder, I just have to wonder, how similar that's going to be with what we're reading right here. Some kind of an image that has the ability to speak. Some type of a person that has the ability to perform signs and wonders, but it's not of God, it's demonic. Because even right now, witch doctors around the world and, and other people, shamans around the world, can get people healed, but they're doing it through demons. They're not doing it by the Holy Ghost. There's only two sources of true spiritual power. It's either God or the devil. That's it. If you think that there's something that you have apart from God or the devil, you have something within you that's called New Age, and you're just deceived. There's nothing within you supernatural. It's either going to be God, the Holy Spirit, or it's going to be demonic. And that's it. So when people are going away from God and they're going away from His people to get healed or whatever, they're turning to demons to do it. And the demons can do it. But that's what you're looking at right here. Let's look at another piece of scripture that talks about 2 Thessalonians 2.9. The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is through the activity and working of Satan and will be attended by great power with all sorts of pretend miracles and signs and delusive marvels, all of them lying wonders, and by unlimited seduction to evil and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, going to perdition, because they did not welcome the truth, but refused to love it, that they might be saved. So you have another place in Scripture where the Apostle Paul was predicting 
that the rise of the Antichrist would be with counterfeit satanic signs and wonders. Did you see it? So the Bible predicts, not only in the book of Revelation, but in other places, that there would be counterfeit signs and wonders that would come and would deceive many. Now, interesting in the Bible, the Lord said to Moses, you remember the story because everybody knows this story, where Moses had to go to Pharaoh said, let my people go and took the children of Israel out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. Well, the Lord told Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, because he was going to Pharaoh, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it on the ground before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded, and Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned, I want you to see this, verse 11. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers. He summoned the witches that he had under his influence, okay? He summoned them to him. And the Egyptian magicians also did the same thing by their secret arts. This is the occult. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and would not listen, just as the Lord had said. So picture this. God sends Moses in there to Pharaoh. All these signs and wonders that God was giving Moses. Do you remember? The plagues that came on Egypt. All that was going on. One of the things God told Moses was, have Aaron throw down his, his staff on the ground. It's going to become a snake right in front of Pharaoh. But Pharaoh calls his magicians, those that practice the dark arts of witchcraft there, and, he's, and they did the same thing. It was a counterfeit sign and wonder. And it hardened Pharaoh's heart against what God was doing. But Moses' snake swallowed up all of theirs. And so what you see is, and I believe this on my heart in these last days, is God is pouring out His Spirit in an awesome way. We're going to continue to see a lot of miracles like we've been seeing, a lot of healings, a lot of deliverances. But Satan is going to begin more and more to raise up people that are going to be able to operate through dark arts to counterfeit miracles. And you already hear reports of it a bit among different cults. In one cult, there'll be some shaman or something, and they'll pray for somebody, and there's a healing. But see, these things are not done by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's satanic. And it's helping to prepare the way for the rise of this false prophet. And when this false prophet is risen up, he's going to be somebody that operates very powerfully in the dark arts, and he's going to deceive a lot of people. Because even now, when you preach along these lines, there was a time in Christianity that you could preach this, and people really listened. But even now, in the day that we live, we're living in the last days, you preach along these lines, and Satan has got so much ground in so many people that there's a resistance in them that they don't want to hear the truth. My friend, uh, a friend of mine, prophetic friend of mine, had a dream. In the dream, he said that the government, there was, all, there was a, some kind of a mass devastation that had happened. I don't know if it was a natural disaster or what. But people were lining up for government food and stamps and different things, and it was everybody because it, it was so devastating. And so in the dream, everybody was gathering in, and they were waiting in line. And as he got to the front of the line, the person that was there said to him in the dream, said, listen, if you're going to keep coming and getting this food, you're going to take a mark either on your right hand or forehead to be able to continue to get food here. And my friend said to, in the dream, he said to the person, well, that's against my religion. I'm not going to do it. And then the response was from the government said, well, if you're not going to do it, then we won't give you any more food. And he said in the dream, he came to church and got up from the, in front of the pulpit here and he, he looked out among the congregation. These are people that he had known for years. And he was so shocked to see that half of them, he looked and he could see a mark on their right hand. People he had known for years. And he couldn't believe that they would be so foolish. And then he was taken somewhere else and shown something else that was really powerful, but I want to stop right there. There are people 
that Satan has got so much ground in their life because of whatever it is, the way they were raised, that they've read books other than the Bible that they believe. Maybe they had a college professor tried to turn them against Christ. Maybe they themselves have gotten into things that were satanic and there's something in their life. But whatever it is, there's so much ground the devil has taken that now whenever the Word of God is preached, there's people that are real resistant against the truth. And I mean even in the church. Why do you think a lot of churches are starting to try to water down their preaching so much, so diluted, so down, so far down to make people happy because there's such a resistance to the truth in people? And it's setting the stage for, the Bible said before Jesus comes in 2 Thessalonians, it says that there would be a great falling away. And in the, in the Greek, the falling away, it's rebellion in it, and it's the word apostasia. And what that is, somebody that's an apostate is somebody that walked with Christ and then turned their back on him for whatever reason. And I know and you know that there's people right and left right now that are, are turning their back on Christ. They're turning their back because now that, you know, they want to be a, something like a practicing homosexual. They want to be in witchcraft. They, they, now they're atheists. Now they want to live a party life, whatever it is. They want to have an adulterous affair. And they know the Bible condemns it. They want to, that, you know, be having sex with their boyfriend, girlfriend. And whatever it is, they, they don't want to any longer continue with Christ. They want whatever it is they're after, and they're turning their back on him and forsaking him. And there's a great falling away of people that are, that right now, just right and left, people abandoning the faith. That's a sign of the last days before Christ comes. So here's some things as I close. You're going to have to be ready for spiritual confrontation in these last days. Just like, for example, you know, Moses cast down his staff, it became a snake, and then the witches did the same thing. There's going to be spiritual confrontations in these last days. I love people like Brother Anthony that works with us because he never shies back from things like that. You're going to have to also be ready to battle witchcraft in these last days. And what I mean by that is that there's going to be a powerful move in Revelation 18.23, it talks about that by the witchcraft, the nations were led astray. Let me read it to you. Revelation 18, verse 23. It says, The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. It's talking about Babylon. The voice of the bridegroom. The bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men. And by your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. So there's going to continue to be this spiritual battle that's going on between good and evil. And you're going to have to be ready to combat these dark forces. The next thing I would say is we're going to need angelic intervention and assistance in the last days. Psalms 37 verse, or 34 verse 7 says that God encamps His angels around those that fear Him and they will deliver them. We're going to need angelic assistance. Also, we're going to need true discernment to know what's of God and what's not. I would say, looking across the body of Christ over the years that I've been in ministry, two things I've observed. Number one is there's very few people that are really truly committed to the Lord. Very few. The second thing, the next observation I would make is this. There, it is very rare to find anybody that really has true discernment. It's very rare. True discernment is where you can tell what's of God and what's not, spiritually speaking. It's not something that, you know, you look by at the natural surface level, but God can reveal to you spiritually if it's of God or not. And very few people are walking in true discernment. Hebrews 5.14 says that it says that by constant use they have trained their inner senses to discern good from evil. It's your inner man being built up. 
It's the, the spirit man within you, the vision of your spirit man being sharp. Your spiritual ears are sharp to hear. You can sense if something's of God or the devil. I'm telling you, I can be around things, and it's not the look of the eye, but I can be around sometimes things that are satanic, and you can feel it. You can be around the things of God, and you can feel the presence of God. But see, you'd be surprised, and I mean you'd be very surprised to know that 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 is not common in the body of Christ. Very few people have discernment. And when you see something like the governments of the world beginning to demand people to take a mark, it doesn't surprise me anymore that a lot of people that profess Christianity would do it. Because there's, there's so few people that are really, really committed to the death, you know. And it doesn't surprise me to see the Bible predict that there would be a false prophet and these counterfeit signs and people be deceived because you don't see enough discernment. I even saw a preacher the other day and somebody had asked him about they said that they were not a Christian, but they were asking, well, what about the healings that happen through, you know, shamans or, or New Age or whatever? And I've heard preachers say, well, anything that's good will be from God. Anything that's bad will be from the devil. So if it's good, it must be from God. And so you can automatically see that not only are they deceived, but they're deceiving their followers, and it's making the way for the rise of somebody like this false prophet that'll easily be able to deceive them. All you got to do is give them something good, they're going to believe it's of God right like that. Remember that in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate of what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Good. Just because something's good doesn't mean that it's God. The tree they ate of was good and evil. They had the knowledge of good and evil. See, that's the deception. Satan will come as an angel of light. He will come in a way that looks good and looks religious. And he will deceive that way. See, when Satan comes to people, he's not stupid. He's not going to come, you know, with his big ugly face, the horns sticking out. You know, and he's got his pitchfork. He's not going to come at people that way because he knows that the overwhelming majority of people would realize this is evil and all that. He comes in a way, the Bible says, as an angel of light. He's pretending to be of God and pretending to be good. And that's basically what this false prophet's going to do. It says that he had the horns like a lamb. He looked good and looked like it was from God and of God. But ultimately, it was straight from the pit of hell, and it was a deception. And before I close, I'm going to say this. It, you know, you're going to have to have this attitude about things. I've made up my mind to go with the Lord. Now, I know my wife will too, but if my wife didn't, it would break my heart, but I'm still going with the Lord. If my daughter didn't, I would be, it'd break my heart, but I'm still going with the Lord with or without her. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the same thing, if, if you, I love you, you know I do. But if you choose to not stay with the Lord, I'm still going with Him. And you're going to have to have that attitude that it doesn't matter. If family, friends, other people, people falling away, people becoming an atheist or whatever, or people, you know, one day taking a mark, you know, and they don't understand why you're not. I've made up my mind I'm going with the Lord, regardless if anybody else goes or not. And you're going to have to have that attitude. Now, here's the last thing to pray about. Luke 21, 26. I want to pray about this specifically with you guys. It says that men's heart will fail them from, for fear and for looking upon those things which are coming on the earth. People that struggle with fear of being hurt again, things they've been through. They try to control people and circumstances to protect themselves. Fear, fear is a horrible thing. <coughs> I said fear is a horrible thing. Fear has torment, and fear ruins people. 
And people live by fear. They, they keep people at arm's length. They put up walls. And they want to control everything around them because they're afraid. They're afraid of getting hurt or whatever. And they want to control everybody, control circumstances. The Bible says in the last day that people's hearts would fail them because of fear. And let me just tell you this. Two things tonight. Number one is let the Lord completely deliver you from fear. That there's just not going to be fear anymore in your life. And number two, I believe that God has answered our prayers and there's an increase of anointing that's coming into the ministry to deal with these specific things I'm preaching about tonight. And those that want prayer, I'm going to pray with you, but there, there really is, there's an anointing from the Lord, and I prophetically saw it. It has to do with deliverance, inner healing, stuff like that, spiritual warfare. But there's an, a specific anointing God is releasing that's going to help us in these last days. We've been praying about it, and I prophesied it, and I believe that it's here. Last night, Pastor Steve asked me to help with the young people some. We had youth service, and... Um, and God gave me a little word for them. But as I was praying, and the power of God was awesome, and just praying about this anointing being released, I mean, people were really getting hit by the power of God. And uh, one young lady was just standing back praying, just pow, it was like the power of God hit her really hard. But it's this new anointing coming in that's going to strengthen you. The Bible says in First John, it says, the anointing within you, will teach you all things. The anointing that's in you will teach you all things. The anointing that's in you will strengthen you. And Matthew 25 says that the Lord's coming back for the wise virgins that had extra oil. You know, even as I preach this tonight, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but just the level of spiritual resistance coming against preachers. I hear other preachers talking about it. When you preach along these lines and you're warning people and it's going out there, on, especially on the internet around the world, and you're warning people about these things, you should feel the resistance as the enemy doesn't want you talking about these things. It's unbelievable. But see, the anointing gives you strength to still rise up and do what God's called you. To be a bold witness, to pray for people, to have a strong prayer life, it's the anointing. Bible says the anointing breaks the yoke. That's why it's so important. And this, this is the last scripture I'll give you, and I'll pray with people. Do you know in the book of Hebrews it says in the last days, it says, don't forsake assembling yourselves together all the more as you see the day approaching. What it's saying is, is that in these last days, we need to be gathering together in church more and more and more because we're going to need the strength that comes from being in God's house and in His presence. And what the devil's trying to do with a lot of people is get them out of church. And I see it across the body of Christ. There's a lot of people that, that are out of church right now. I mean, all across America. And they don't realize how vulnerable they really are. That they're disconnecting themselves. You know, if you have something that you have plugged into the wall and it's supplying power, if you disconnect it very quickly, the power is going to run out. And people are disconnecting themselves from the body of Christ. They're disconnecting themselves from church. And the power supply is drying up in their lives. And they're drying on the vine. It's like you take a branch and you cut it off a tree. And you lay it next to the tree in the yard. It's not going to be too long till it's dry and dead. It may look like it has life for a little while. But it will die. And if you, could, if you start pulling yourself out of church... And that's, that's just a warning I have across the board for everybody. People may hear this, and uh, let me tell you, you need to be in church wherever that is. You may live, you may hear this, and you be, you know, live in Washington, or you live in Europe somewhere, or whatever. If you can't find a good church around you close, you need to find one somewhere. Even if that means you've got to drive an hour, then drive an hour. But you need to get in church, because there's a power there. All right. Lord, I thank you for your presence and your power and a fresh anointing tonight. I thank you, Lord, for helping us to rise up and break through tonight into preaching this word. Lord, I don't know who the false prophet will be, 
But you said in your word he'll try to represent Christ or look like Christ, look like he's from God. He's going to be performing signs and wonders. And Lord, I just pray for an increase of discernment. And tonight as we're going to pray with people, that you'd release a fresh anointing. Lord, an empowerment to face these things, to have discernment, to have strength, to have endurance, to have a powerful prayer life. We thank you, Lord, for it in Jesus' name. But I want to shut off recordings. I want to pray with people tonight. If you want prayer tonight, I just want to pray for you.